All right. <laughs> Ready? I want you to watch this. I need you to watch this. I'm begging you to watch this. I want you to watch this. Yeah, that's right. We got ourselves some real mics. So welcome to I Want You to Watch This. I am your host, Dennis. And as always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Colin and Craig. How are you both? I'm doing well. Moving a little slow today, but good overall. I'm good, Dennis. Excellente. Alrighty. Um, well, we just ended our nostalgia block last week, which was the three movies picked from each one of our childhoods. And I gotta say, before we continue on to this episode, that you two picked superior movies to my choice of Stargate. That was trash compared to... <laughs> it was all right. Yeah. yeah. But it was no speed. And it was definitely no... Uh, it was definitely no death I mean, nothing her. can be death becomes her. Right, yeah. No. <laughs> those those were quality, most definitely. All right. So, um, it's Oscar season, so we will be doing our top picks from the best picture list. Um, kicking it off this week will be La La Land, which was my choice. Um, so I guess the next thing is to go into the synopsis, right? Yeah, Dennis, uh, hit us with the synopsis of La La Land. Um, La La Land, it's a 2016 movie by Damien Chazelle, and it begins, uh, on a crowded Los Angeles highway, Mia, Emma Stone, an on-studio barista and aspiring actress, has a moment of road rage with Sebastian, played by Ryan Gosling, a struggling jazz pianist. Her subsequent audition goes poorly despite her efforts. That night, Mia's roommates take her to a lavish party in the Hollywood Hills to cheer her up. She has to take a long walk back after finding that her car had been toned away. During a gig at a restaurant, Sebastian slips into a passionate jazz improvisation (laughs) despite warnings from the owner, J.K. Simmons, to play only songs on the set list. Mia overhears the music as she passes by. Moved, she enters, but Sebastian is promptly fired for his disobedience. As he storms out, Mia attempts to compliment him, but he coldly brushes her off. Months later, Mia runs into Sebastian at a party where he plays in a 1980s pop cover band. She teases him. After the gig, the two walk together to find their cars, lamenting being in each other's company despite the chemistry between them. Mia takes Sebastian on a walk around the movie lot, explaining her passion for acting. Sebastian takes Mia to a jazz club, describing his passion for jazz and desire to open his own club. They warm, e- they warm to each other. Sebastian invites Mia to a screening of Rebel Without a Cause, which Mia accepts, forgetting an earlier commitment with her current boyfriend. Discontented with that date, she leaves and rushes to the theater, finding Sebastian as the film begins. The two conclude their evening with a romantic dance at the Griffith Observatory. After more failed auditions, Mia decides, at Sebastian's suggestion, to write personal to, to write the personal single actress play, <laughs> to write a personal single actress play. Sebastian begins to perform regularly at the jazz club, and the two move in together. A high school classmate, Keith John Le- Legend, plays uh, plays invites Sebastian to the keyboard uh, to be the keyboardist in his jazz band, which offers a steady source of income. Sebastian is dismayed over the band's pop-oriented style, but decides to sign with them after overhearing Mia trying to convince her mother that Sebastian was working on his career. 
Mia attends one of his concerts, but is disturbed knowing that Sebastian does not enjoy his band's music. Um, during the band's tour, Mia and Sebastian get into an argument. She accuses him of abandoning his dreams, and he says that she liked him more when he was unsuccessful. Insulted, Mia leaves. On the night of Mia's play, Sebastian fails to show up due to a photo shoot he had forgotten about. The play is a disaster. Few people attend it, and Mia overhears dismissive compliments. Or comments. (laughs) Uh, Despondent, she decides to move back to home to Boulder City. One day, Sebastian receives a a call from a casting director who had attended Mia's play, inviting Mia to a film audition the following evening. Sebastian drives to Boulder City and persuades Mia to attend. For the audition, Mia is simply asked to tell a story. She begins to sing about her aunt, who is an inspired who inspired her to pursue acting. Sebastian asserts that Mia must devote herself wholeheartedly to the opportunity. They profess they will always love each other, but are uncertain of their future. Five years later, Mia is a famous actress and happily married to another man, Tom Everett Scott, with whom she has a daughter. One night, the couple stumble up upon a jazz bar. Noticing the Seb's logo she had once designed, Mia realizes Sebastian had finally opened his club. Sebastian spots Mia, visibly unsettled, in the crowd. He begins to play their love theme, prompting an extended dream sequence in which the two imagine what might have uh, been had their relationship worked perfectly. The song ends and Mia leaves with her husband. Before departing, she shares one last look with Sebastian, and they both smile. Credits. And yeah, that's La La Land. Yeah. Um, but before we go any further, I just want to say Dennis is, uh, as always, um, representing. He he has come uh, just looking completely like J.K. Simmons. Uh, he is completely bald. <laughs> uh, he has reshaped his head and everything. Uh, uh, Dennis, just bravo on that J.K. Simmons outfit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I got really into bow ties and I was like, you know what? What the hell? I'll do J.K. Simmons for this episode. And so yeah. here I am. Well, you know? he's yeah. like, he's barely in the movie, but you know, he's one of the biggest stars. So, well, he's also like one of my favorite character actors. Like, yeah, and this is no joke. He really <laughs> so, is one of my favorite character actors. <laughs> but Craig, I mean, I pale in comparison to Craig who, you know, again, is just taking on like the, this extreme, like projects of being the set and dressing up as the Griffith Observatory which is the set of one of the really cool dance scenes. Yeah, what can I say? I mean, you know, I, I decided to go for, you know, the moment when they were actually floating around the observatory. Right. So. I, yeah, I see I the like, projection lights on you. It's yeah. pretty amazing. I like the little um, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling on wires that are just like floating around. Thank you. In, Thank in you. like a perfect parabolic arc. I, <laughs> just good, good science work on that one. I mean, and you again, like, with these combo, like, these costumes and wigs, I don't even know how you, do you manufacture these wigs? Because uh, one side is I have Mia, a wig warehouse. the other yeah. side is Sebastian. It is is just this amazing combination, <laughs> and I don't even understand how you put those two wigs together. D- to just a happen. lot of time and, and careful attention, and, and I have to give props to my wig guy. Uh, I just have a guy who manages a wig warehouse. I'm not going to tell you where, um, <laughs> but but he, he does great work, and without him, I wouldn't be able to represent the way I do. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're, you must have a warehouse of wigs oh, at yeah. this point. Yeah, right. absolutely. Okay. So, La La Land. Um, yeah, so La La Land. Um, what did you guys think? I love this movie. Um, part of that is just I'm a sucker for old musicals. Like my favorite movie is Singing in the Rain. Um, but this is 
this isn't up to that level. Um, it's very much a movie that's aspiring to that level, and that's what I like about it. I like that it, it, they're at least trying to make these kinds of movies again, um, even down to like the old-timey-looking opening title cards, um, a lot of those things. Um, my overall feeling about this movie is that it's not necessarily best picture, but I think this movie has to be a lock for achievement in cinematography because this is a gorgeous fucking movie. Oh, yeah. Like, I, it, the use of color and light and the framing of everything, I don't think this movie goes farther than 15 or 20 minutes without me finding a shot that I have to remark upon how beautiful that shot is. Yeah, uh, going into the lighting, I noticed a lot of the scenes when they're doing the spotlight focus on a character um you know like when either when there's like that connection between Mia and Seb or like when Seb starts breaking down into his improvisation and everything kind of shuts out um a lot of that lighting is very um it's more like theatrical lighting it's than it very is much like theatrical movie lighting. lighting it's it's a uh, something in theatrical lighting which is referred to as selective focus it's um a tool you use lighting for in theater where it's saying okay we want to you to pay attention to this person we want you to pay attention to this thing by um, lighting this more dramatically or more effectively than we're lighting this other area so it is very much theatrical lighting yeah so i i very much enjoyed that um because i felt like the movie itself was a very large high production stage play that was translated into screen and um that's just like how the entire movie felt that way to me in terms of the the cinematography of it yeah I, I agree um the cinematography was phenomenal i love how the first thing you see is like i think it says like shot in chroma form or something like that yeah, yeah you know yeah, it's like a color these... chrome or something like that you know it's like this throwback <laughs> cool. to you know the old cinemascope yeah yeah when they're like really proud about hey we're shooting in stereo and color now you know and it's yeah, like check yeah. it out you know and so i really like that and i love how it, how it opens you know it opens into this awesome like straight up musical it's like we're straight a musical yeah. you know it, it doesn't waste any time saying like this is an old fashioned musical right where, like everyone just starts singing and they're dancing in their cars um, there is a really great shot at the end of Another Day of Sun that opening number where it just pump, pulls out to this wide shot of the whole freeway on ramp and everyone is dancing on top of their cars that on ramp is the same one that the bus jumped over in speed oh that's <laughs> that fun I, I, I found like that. that in my uh, like trivia that I was researching this movie a little bit so yeah, I, I really like how that opening scene established like firmly establishes it as a musical category. Um, unfortunately, I feel that the movie quickly forgets that it's a musical and just becomes this drama um, after a little bit. I was um, I was like I was like okay, where's where's like the cool song and dance scenes and th- they just kind of fizzled away I, after I think a bit. Part of that is like we've got like lots of good songs, um, but. Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling aren't very good dancers. So we're not going to have the kind of song and dance that you'll have in a more traditional musical. I would also argue they're not great singers. I think Emma Emma Stone is fine. I think she's a pretty good singer. I think Ryan Gosling is okay. Um, Within a very specific range. Yeah. like It it was a very... Like every song that he sang, like you could tell it was like, all right, we, there was a very specific range that he sounded really good in. Yeah. And so they stuck to that and you could hear it kind of like when he would get up a little bit, you could hear some of that. Like um, I said, I, I think this movie kind of aspires to be an, an old fashioned musical. Right. Yeah. But like that makes me furious because we have this opening scene 
with like you know and we were just talking about all these little minutiae of it like doing homage to like you know classic 1900s musicals you know and and with this like really strong ensemble musical scene you know shot on like the la highway being like hey this is a musical about la and like working in the industry you know and then it just immediately drops it off because like the two leads can't like hold it up like i was like i was just like what the fuck i think there's a few numbers that do hold up i think um uh waste of a lovely night really works as a musical number i think is that where they're like there's the street lamp and then like they change into the tap dancing shoes and then like kind of dance for a little bit and then it's the one where a lot of it takes place on the bench and like right yeah yeah I well, I mean, apparently this movie is like a triumph of editing over like almost anything else because apparently it was like almost a year of just editing to try and get out like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone's like mistakes that they made and make this look as like clean as it did because they are not dancers or singers. So, um, so apparently like there was a lot of that and that's that may be uh, what contributed to kind of like that that I don't want to say uh, dive, but like that kind of like moving away from the musical numbers towards the end of the movie and more focusing on like the acting and the romance of those two characters. Okay. okay. So yeah, but then it falls back on this movie premise. That's just boring, you know, like, like it's about two people in this industry and all right, real quick. I want to point out that this movie has pointed out to me the male equivalent of Pixie Dream Girl, and that is Autistic Dreamboat, and that is Ryan Gosling's <laughs> character. <laughs> and for some reason, I've seen multiple I've seen multiple movies where this character is prominent, where it's like he's the male love interest and he's like touched in the head. And yeah. that's charming somehow, you know. And like I like think I, it I don't does work well, because he like, is charming. Yeah, um, yeah. Like he is he, charming. He manages to make the most assholish thing somehow endearing. Like when he like leans on the horn and like he, that's right. His, like in any other movie, I would be like, "What an asshole!" Right. But <laughs> in this one, I actually kind of find it charming. I agree. He's like a way. lovable Lewin Davis, you know. Yeah. And um, I don't. I don't want to take that away from Ryan Gosling and I, I thought they really did a great job on their parts you know and i felt yeah. like they had great yeah I, I, uh, chemistry I, and all that shit you know and i well, felt like I their felt interaction like was good that was i felt like this movie if it wasn't a movie that was already so hard to get made in the first place could have like taken the chance on you know finding like some unknown and like yeah. you know fi- discovering the next gene kelly and judy garland you know yes but i would have loved it then you yeah. know if it instead of like like with the with the bench scene you know in the light like i've seen dancing and or singing in the rain and i've seen like a, not as much as you have colin you're like yeah, I, I watched that movie more or less <laughs> right on a and, and i and yeah. i like i am preemptively apologizing <laughs> for stumbling through these references but you have to admit that this movie is filled with references to that shit and like i was like and pu- fails to deliver i was furious yeah. because it was like every time they show one i'm like i don't get it and then they're like it's just like like elbowing each other in the movie like "Ah, look at us reference this thing and it's like fuck you both like i don't get it like and then like and then it just ends and it's like well where's the big song and dance like where's the musical part of this musical you know i would have loved for it to end it on a like a big musical number well it kind of does i will say the one thing um the one piece that i really love is the dream sequence the fantasy sequence at the end i think works as best as well as any other musical number in the movie save maybe the opening one. I, I love that epilogue like the, the, that scene is really cool and it like it has 
all those bits of the old musicals. It even has like a lot of the same color palette and a lot of the same um, blocking stuff of a number in Singing in the Rain called um, Broadway Melody. Uh, but what's another thing that's really interesting about that sequence is um, the first time I saw this movie, I saw it on a date with my wife and we're driving home and we're just talking about like what we liked in it. And she said, I really liked the part where it was his uh, dream sequence. And I was like, that's really interesting because I thought it was her dream sequence. And you can see it being either way or being both. Yeah. I thought it was both. I, yeah. th I thought it was like them sharing like, cause, cause another thing that makes me furious about this movie is that like, like the thing that I love about movie musicals is this like realm of like magical realism that is like permeated through and it's allowed because it's a freaking musical, you know, like the ensemble is busting out into song and dance randomly and you can't yeah, explain there's it. There's no ensemble in right. this movie. That's, and that's annoying. That's annoying. Yeah. And, but like, What's more annoying is that they don't use that that magic realism as much as they could have, you know. Well, they, it, they except do for and like, they don't. The, yes, but that like they're so inconsistent about it, you know. Like it's like they'll be really serious, and it's like, well, is this happening or is this not? And then it's like, oh no, it was happening. And then like, and then they'll have this dream sequence where it's like, oh, this is really well done, and this plays well if the tone of the rest of the movie was consistent with it, you know? Yeah. Like the ending, the epilogue felt like it was snipped from a better movie and tacked onto the end, you know? And it was just like so infuriating. It was like, oh, this is where all of their their relationship chemistry is embedded in this film. It's it's all in this epilogue, you know? Yeah, that was. I, I felt like we did get um, sorry I felt like they they portrayed like their that kind of like beginning part where they weren't really together but they were both kind of into each other but not really or trying to deny it and like you know they had the moment when um, like after they do that their first song where it's like you know lovely night and then he um, Sebastian kind of does like a little like shuffle like down the hill like you know, as like after she leaves, and then when she like drives past the theater, and uh, Rebel Without a Cause is playing, and she like smiles a little bit, thinking about going to see the movie with him. Like those little things like that, I felt they did really well. And then, like at the beginning, when they were actually together for you know that short period of time in the movie where they were together, it, I felt like it was really well. But like, yeah, that whole last scene of like their entire romantic chemistry being shoved into the end I felt could have been spaced out a little bit more right yeah to kind of piggyback on what Craig is saying I think it's a perfectly valid criticism Dennis that um, this it doesn't hold to the musical thing as well as you would want it to um, it kind of diverts into this uh, love story but I think the love story is done very well um, I think this love story done by other actors or done in a different movie could be like really annoying and not as good um I like a lot of the stuff about it and what I like about this movie is that it's this movie is so is very successful and that means that maybe someone can in the future make a movie like this and go out and find the next Gene Kelly find the next Debbie Reynolds and and just make a real movie of what this movie is kind of trying to do I, I agree that it's a it's a good they're opening up a door that should have never ever been closed in the first place in my opinion you know i love this genre i i love because it brings out so much emotion you know musicals can bring out so much more emotion to the stage or the camera than movies can in a different way you know because of like i don't know it's it's an intangible thing it, well because you I, I feel like a lot of times things that are just said 
can be, you know, kind of ignored, but when someone's singing something, it does have a different effect because first of all, I think I don't think people are like used to just like hearing musicals in in movies anymore. Right. So, when people are singing something, it it already has like a different effect because people are going to pay attention a little bit more because it's not something that they're used to. And when we do get movie musicals, we get Les Mis. Uh, we get Chicago. We yeah. get remakes. Like, th- we get remakes of like State. stage shows. We're not getting movie musicals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about Pishikaka? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what is this Why word? Why is using, using these what is <laughs> It doesn't ma- I Like, every time I was like, what? This is not necessary. Like, we don't need this in the movie at all. But, like, but why I, is he using Yiddishism? Is, it, is he supposed to be Jewish? No. I, I don't know. I think he's. I think it's playing into his autistic dreamboat persona. <laughs> well, I, I feel like there's a little bit of um, the director in this character. Uh, I was listening okay, to yeah. uh, NPR, and they had an interview with him and kind of his life and hearing some of the things that Sebastian was saying in the movie after hearing the NPR interview, I could totally see it being like the director's like rant about like jazz dying and like, you know, like no one appreciating jazz and like everyone should love jazz. And and like that just like being like, I want to make this scene where like he explains why jazz is so amazing. Well, uh, yes. (laughs) And I want to talk about that scene because critics of this movie always complain about that scene saying, well, he mansplains jazz to her. And I'm like, that's not what that fucking scene is. No, no. He's not being condescending about it. No. He's being passionate about right. it. Right, yeah. And there's a line later where she says, people are passionate about what other people are passionate about. Or people love what other people are passionate about. And this guy is undeniably passionate about jazz. His other movie is Whiplash, which is also about jazz. Yeah. And it's, no one is like saying these things about Whiplash. No one is saying like, oh, he's... I don't know. I just get really mad when people say that that, that scene is about him mansplaining. No, no, I mean, that's, like, that makes me. That's just him because, explaining, right? Because it, it, well, it was a great counter scene to what she just did, explaining why yeah. she's in love with acting and like exactly. on the set and everything, and like all this really cool stuff, and like how they get all quiet while like there's a shot going on, and they have that conversation, you know, and like. Uh, the, the scene isn't about him explaining jazz. The scene is about showing his passion. Right. And it, it, that's why I get mad when people say that. Well, the, my, my critique about that scene is that, like, before when his sister's in her in his apartment and she's like, I don't know if uh, they might have edited this out, but, like, she's, like, suggesting, hey, call this girl, you know, um, but FYI, she doesn't like jazz. And I don't know if that was supposed to be Emma Stone. Like, that was, like, another... Th- like, I don't think so. Because there's, yeah. like, all these weird things. Like, they're, you know, bound to meet each other. They have to meet each other because they keep running into each other. But anyways, um, so there's that scene where, like, she's like, yeah, she doesn't love jazz. And then, like, he meets her and she's like, I'm not a fan of jazz. You know, Emma Stone's like, I'm not a fan of jazz. And so then they go into this the jazz scene that you were describing. And it goes just like this. She doesn't like jazz. He shows her jazz. They change the subject. <laughs> and it was just like, there's all this buildup about how he has to love someone that also appreciates jazz. And then he like shows it. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, end scene, you know? And I guess like, after well, they, they, they go back into, they kind of transition that back into movies and old movies and Hollywood and stuff because they talk about rebel without a cause. And then it's like, she's never seen rebel without a cause. Oh, right, right, right. Like he does the line. He's like, I got the bullets. And yeah. she's just looking at him with this blank face of, Oh, you've never seen it. Have you? Right. Oh yeah. Um, why doesn't she cancel the, that movie date? 
but Rebel Without a Cause movie date. Yeah, why wouldn't she just be like, oh, hey, sorry, yeah. something came up. I forgot right. about this thing. Yeah. Instead of just like not yeah, doing anything any and just because walking out on the dinner date. And then, and then her being just... a bitch and walking out on the dinner date, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, she walks out on the dinner date, but like the boyfriend and his brother are like portrayed as just rich douchebags. Yeah, but not really. Like, I feel like the, the brother is portrayed as a rich douchebag and like. The boyfriend is kind of like sitting there listening well, to... Well, the boyfriend is just a hollow shirt. Like, well, the yeah. boyfriend is nothing. Like, they never at any point really, like, establish any reason why she would just be like... It's not like he, like, she, like, catches him cheating on her, which is, like, the standard, you know, we need... We have a boyfriend, a character with a boyfriend, but these two characters are supposed to end up together, so one of them has to cheat on the other one, right. so that way they can be together. Right. It wasn't even that. It no. was just like... No, she's just like not interested Bored. in him anymore. She's right. just like done with him. Which, like, and sorry. No, go, go, continue. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, um, I'm and just yeah, so because, excited that I'm like furious about this movie. And you guys both <laughs> liked it. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, there are things about it that I didn't like. It, it, it wasn't like a, a, a home run or anything. Or, no, it's not but, a home run, but it's. And yeah, I felt like that was one of the things where they could have at least they should have either not had or had a boyfriend at all, and just like come up with some re- other reason why. Like, well, they already had the reason. Like, they didn't really like each other. Right. Like, there was already that like enough of that where they didn't even have to have a boyfriend. Yeah, and that could have been like a really good scene where it's like, let's just stop doing this, you know? Like, where it was just like, because you never have that, you know? Where and everyone's been in that dating situation, or a lot of people have been in that dating situation where it's just like, you both know this ain't going anywhere. Let's just fucking end it, you know? As opposed to her just being like, I gotta go by, you know? Like, it felt like a missed opportunity. And I want to use this opportunity to segue into the overall story is a missed opportunity. Like, the fact that the heavy moment, the heavy thing that breaks them up is this, like, Ayn Rand approach of doing shit. Where it's like, my passion should be above my interpersonal relationships, you know? That, like, I'm going to discount my relationships with other people because my passions are more important. You know, and then and then it, it you know it ends with this epilogue where they're like, oh well, I kind of regret doing that. You know, yeah. and it's, it's not necessarily his passion because the whole fight they have is about she thinks he's turned away from his passion. His passion was always to open the club, and now he's just touring around with John Legend, and like she but accuses the, him of like abandoning his dream. Right, but the reason they break up is because she's gonna get this. You know, he has this sixth sense that she's gonna be famous, and so they should end it now so she can pursue that acting career, right? Yeah, that was why. Because after he like takes her to that other yes. inter- right. audition. So the missed opportunity there is why wasn't this movie a period piece and he gets drafted and that's why they can't fucking see each other for five years, you know, as opposed to just business got in the way, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I like that's a good point because in the epilogue, when she goes off to Paris to film this movie, he goes to Paris and just starts playing jazz in Paris. Yeah. He says, Paris is a great jazz town. In the narrative of the movie, why can't he just, just go, go play to jazz. Paris yeah. and play Thank jazz? You. Yeah, no, that was the like, thing that I was like, why isn't he just going to Paris with her? Like, <laughs> just easily, because he's not really, uh, he's still in the middle of the tour with, John Legend is he? No, because he's not no, even on tour with John Legend not. anymore. He could just go to Paris, right? Yep. Like, like the, the the epilogue is like, oh, that was a bad idea. Let's, let's break it up, you know? Oh well, burp, 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 maybe his know? apartment was rent controlled. He's like, I can't leave. Uh, I can't stay here. Just, like, <laughs> that would be the most LA thing. Like, I almost walked out of this movie twice because I was just like, fucking be better, you know? Like you could be so much better. There's all of this framework to be an excellent like. 
movie musical with all of this crazy magical realism you know like they're flying in the like i love the dance scenes i love the music scenes and i love how it's shot and the cinematography is amazing it's just this hollow framework of a story that it's based on and it's like yeah, yeah i think I, like I, I, I can totally understand that I, I think and i kind of think i felt that the second time i saw this movie like the first time i saw this movie i was really like caught up in it and i was just yeah. like oh my god like so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And right. then the second time I saw it, I actually ended up like leaving early because I was just kind of like, okay, I remember what happens in the rest of this right. movie. It's all pretty straightforward from here. And there's not. And I kind of left like after the last musical number was saying in the movie, which was still like an hour left in the movie. Like, of uh, like, I think it was kind of like right before fall was kind of when I was like, okay, yeah. I think I, I think I can I think I can finish out my yeah. notes on this movie. My and first time, yeah. Sorry, um, nope. my first time I was like you. I was just like blown away by this movie. I was like, oh, that was so awesome! Like it, the musical and all this stuff. My second time, I was like, yeah, I see some of the problems, but I just can't get over the cinematography. Like I cannot get over how just beautiful this movie is. Like it's so many like bright primary colors all over the place and just like i said i don't think it goes more than 15 minutes without a remarkably beautiful shot you, you know what the it the color palette reminded me of was hail caesar you know the yeah Cohen, kind yeah. of because yeah. and I, I know that's not by accident because it's kind of you know this is a homage to that golden to, age of yeah, cinema the, the studio yeah. right and like even to the point where all of the musical numbers like obviously are on sound stages where it like you can see a lot of the other stuff is shot like in and around LA but when they do a musical number it's like clearly on a sound stage right. and they're making it look like that on purpose yes and I love that and yeah you're right and, like, and I agree with you that it's it's kind of aggravating that they don't go full on with the musical nature of it right but I think like Craig said I think it was hard enough to get this movie made to begin with that they can't take a chance on unknown people who are like singers and dancers and stuff. So that makes me wonder why it got nominated for 14 freaking nominations. Like that's like, yes, yeah, cinematography. I understand, you know, like yeah, directing, I understand. directing, I understand. And like, yeah. even the acting I kind of get, you know, like they do a good job in this movie, but like 14 total nominations for like yeah. a movie that feels like kind of an editing nightmare, you know, like yeah. you pointed it out, you know, like it, 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 I mean, when you're watching it, it's not as glaring as some of the shit movies we watch, but like, but yeah, 14 nominations. I don't get that. I mean, uh, I agree. Flawless I mean, segue guys. <laughs> Smooth like butter. <laughs> there was not a problem with our recording at all just now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally get it. And I, I, I upon like a a, sub, a second viewing, it doesn't hold up to my initial reaction to it. Right. But I still think it's good, and I still like what this movie opens the door for. I, I get it. I'm. It's just like it's. I like how you had the complete opposite reaction that I did, Colin. Like, and we both, I think, and kind of the, have the same opinion about it. You know, like. Yeah. Like you, you're like, oh man, I hope they make more movies like this. And I was like, oh man, that movie could have been fucking better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's kind of refreshing to see this thing. I hope they take the opportunity of this movie being successful to do this thing, but on a grander scale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like this, uh, Arrival, like these are movies like, oh, I'm yeah. glad this is a year where we are getting a lot of movies like this. This, this is a great like this, year. Yeah, it feels movies. like there's a lot of like 
really original things happening in I movies agree. right now. I, I totally agree. And I want to see that continue. I, I, I'd extend it like further back though. Like I think we're in the middle of an amazing era of film and, uh, and it's been going on for quite some time. I think like when like there will be blood and no country from old men came out in the same year. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of, of when it started kicking where off. Where it was like, "Ooh, movies are really good." Yeah, <laughs> but, but I mean, this year in particular, because I just saw Hidden Figures, and I was like, uh, "In any other year, Hidden Figures would be a slam dunk for Best Picture." Right. But like in a year where it's up against Arrival and Fences, and is Moonlight in there? And Moonlight, yeah. Moonlight's yeah. In there. yeah. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like, 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 uh, uh, and Manchester by the Sea. I hear is really good too. Oh god, I heard yeah. it's so depressing. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I wonder if you know we're watching a Best Picture nominated movie musical because of television now. Like, don't you think? Because there's so many, there's so many television series taking big risks, you know, with yeah. big budgets, and they're hugely successful. And I think the movie industry's response to that is this, you know, is being like, oh, they're taking risks and they're, that's the silver screen. Like, what the hell are we yeah. doing? Well, yeah, Let's... we've got like the Netflix and the Amazons right. and they're doing things and they're able to, yeah, take those risks to pay out. And actually, um, Netflix and Amazon, I believe, were the highest. Uh, they bought the most pictures at the Sundance, uh, at Sundance this year. Like, so they are like, all out like looking to get like independent like take risks on new movies like try and put out like original stuff that is groundbreaking and yeah and i feel like now that people have gotten that exposure to those things through those media through that media we can how like it can move into hollywood and we can take those chances and that's what's happening i see is so we're able to take those chances of i don't know like let's just try this so like, so hollywood is like being emboldened by what is out there and saying like, okay, we can take like big swings now yeah. right. and, and really take some shots at stuff. It's and like they I, have I think confidence really in the audience or something, you know, right? <laughs> like, where it's like, oh, we don't have to be executive assholes and just make cut and paste movies. We, we don't well, have yeah. to make things that are going to appeal to everyone. We can actually try and yeah. make some art. Yeah. Um, that kind of does it for me on notes. You guys got any last things to say about this? I have a Pishikaka. Pishikaka. <laughs> um, just a few little uh, things. Uh, he's telling her um, to hold the key fob up to her chin. Oh, that was right. fun. That actually works. Really? Yeah, in real life, that is a true thing. Turns um, your head into an antenna. Yeah, your head, like, it, like your skull somehow works as a thing to amplify that signal. So if you are using that fob and it's not working, hold it up to your chin. Totally la la works. land life hacks, you guys. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you see, I think that's, I, I wrote down a few little things, but none of them are anything I particularly wanted to, oh, there was one line I really liked, um, where John Legend is talking to, uh, Sebastian about, like, what a pain in the ass he is, and how he was, like, all trying to save jazz, but he's not willing to take any risks, and he says, how are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? And oh, I thought yeah. that was a really cool line. Yeah, yeah. no, um, I, I like that. And I like John Legend's character in this movie a mm -hmm. lot. Um, I like his band, uh, a lot of that stuff. But but I kind of agree with you, Dennis. Um, overall, it's just that uh, it didn't make me mad. It made me hopeful. <laughs> See, yeah, it didn't make me hopeful. It made me mad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess that wraps up La La Land uh, for the first part of our three-part um Oscar nomin best picture nomination category block 
movie picture series of we're doing on this podcast of reviewing movies. Wow. That, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did did you just forget how words yeah. work? No, that's now. the title of this block. <laughs> so Our remember best picture that. nominees block. Yeah. <laughs> the movies that have been nominated for being the best in their category, which is the category of best picture for the award ceremony that is known as the Oscars, also known as the Academy Awards, where the people from the Academy vote for the awards. Right. Guys, we're going to do the rest of this podcast in iambic pentameter starting now. <laughs> All right, so that, that ends our La La Land review. Um, I got to pass it off to Craig for our next pick for Best Picture List selection. Did you, was your pick Hidden Figures? Uh, no, I was not going to pick Hidden Figures. Okay, because I wanted to pick Hidden Figures. Okay. Hidden okay. Fences. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> hidden I've, Figures? I've, I've already seen Hidden Figures. I liked it a lot. Uh, but that's that's fun. what they called I, it I at the SAG Awards. It. Hidden fences. Yeah, or as the Golden Globes, someone mistakenly said hidden fences, and then the internet blew up because they're oh, like, oh, oh it's God. two black movies, Man. and you think all black people are the same. Yeah. <laughs> hidden fences. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would like. I've seen both of those movies. I think a mashup of those movies would be a lot of fun. Yeah. If, <laughs> if Troy just comes walking into NASA. Oh God. <laughs> Oh man, like a supercut, you know, like edit where it's like one movie. Well, takes place ten years or so before Hidden Figures, but it would still be fun. Yeah, and yeah, uh, okay. So Hidden Figures, Hidden figures. next yeah. week. Yeah, That's all right. Hidden Figures next week. Um, I guess that wraps us up. If we have any corrections and omissions, we have any corrections from last week. Uh, I cannot believe the we forgot to talk about the one? stroller scene. The oh, stroller God. scene. Yeah, what the fuck was that? Like, How did we miss that? Well, because it was like, I was like, oh, yeah, she's not going to hit that stroller. And then it was like, oh, she hit that stroller. And then I was stroller. like, and then it's full of cans? Right. It's full of cans. Yes. And it's not, <laughs> the woman who's pushing it isn't like homeless? a homeless yeah. person. She looked like a totally normal person. Right. So why the fuck is she pushing around a baby stroller full of cans? Because yes. someone was like, we need to create tension, more tension. And then it was like, we'll do the stroller thing. And it's like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, but twist. She'll actually hit the stroller. It's like, oh, another twist. There actually won't be a baby inside. It'll, It'll just be, be cans. cans. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It, it'll get the audience heart racing and very upset, and then they'll see the cans and they'll feel very relieved. And also will be comic moment because it's cans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that wraps us up. So I just have a few more notes about the episode. Um, uh, recommendations. Oh, shit. Recommendations. I totally forgot. Uh, what do you guys got? You guys got a recommendation lined up? I do. Um, we just finished talking about a musical, so I'm going to recommend a musical. Uh, streaming on Netflix right now is Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. A really great movie in which the best character is the brunette. Hmm. Right on, right on. All right, I would recommend... Did I do a comic book last week? I don't care. I'll do another uh, comic you did, book. You did Neil Gaiman. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, cool. I'll do another comic. I'll do a comic book this week. Um, Fables, uh, fantastic series. I don't even know if it's still ongoing. I've only read like the first fifteen volumes, but there's a lot. Of them. <laughs> there's yeah. I think I think at the very least there's probably like thirty out if it's not still ongoing. Um, but essentially, it's like uh, fairy tale characters from a lot of different fairy tales like across the globe um, are forced into New York through their homelands being invaded by some mysterious force um and it's fantastic it's it's an adult take on fairy tales and it's great right on right on um i will say my recommendation for this week 
is um, I'm going to do Spontaneous Nation. It's a podcast by Paul F. Tompkins. If you are a fan of long-form improv, check it out. It goes off the rails rather quickly. Almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I love um, things about Spontaneous Nation. It shares a lot of similar DNA to one of my favorite podcasts of all time, Pod the pod f Tomcast, where he does a lot like he riffs a whole monologue at the beginning and he interviews a person right. it's a great show yeah. yeah yeah spontaneous nation is great um it has made me an even bigger fan of paul f Tompkins. um you can find all of our episodes on soundcloud at soundcloud.com forward slash iwitwt as well as most podcast listening apps like itunes or stitcher uh, if Twitter's your thing, you can find us on Twitter at want you to watch this with the letter U and the number two. Uh, join us for some movie talk on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash IWITWT. And finally, and most importantly, please write us a nice review on iTunes. It helps us grow our audience. And yeah. Rate, review, share, help people find us, guys. That'd be great. Get out there, get on the streets. Be our friend. Bye. Bye. See ya.